0: Welcome to the Heat Wave. My name's Chewy. I go by he, him.
1: I'm a male. I, bo- I also go by he, him.
0: And thank you for listening. Today, we have a uh, an interesting uh, episode that we've been planning to record because yeah. um, in our meetings, we... In our introductory meetings in the beginning of every semester, we always talk about the history of Mecha and typically... Those conversations go very long, so mm-hmm. to uh, ease the process for new members to like join our organization and also just like spread the history of the organization to everybody in the internet, we have decided to just record it for this podcast. So, ML, do you want to uh,
1: do your honors? Um, oh yeah! So what's up, everyone? I'm back. <laughs> yes, you
0: haven't been on for a couple episodes. A couple
1: of episodes, yeah. Haven't right. been able to make it. I was I, I was trying to make it to the last one. I, I couldn't. I put a bunch of notes in there, but I wasn't able to make it. Mm. I fell asleep. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> okay. All right.
1: I mean, I was busy yeah. and tired. That's why I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. And the, the day before. Um, yeah. All right. So, this is about Mecha history, but it's going to go to a lot more than just Mecha history because you can't really explain it or, like, the origins or, like, why it came about, I think, if you don't go all the way back, yeah, you know? So, pre-Chicano movement. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the way I'm going to do this is, like, uh, before the Chicano movement and then during and then after, you know, like, more recently. Yes, because the Chicano movement is dead. Uh, yeah, pretty yes. much. Uh, <laughs> at least in my mind. I, I mean, at least... No, the,
2: no, it's dead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, some of the people out there are still out there, you know. But it, in essence, like, they don't have any yeah. mass base. So yeah, yeah. I, I would say it's, it's pretty dead. Um, so uh <clears throat> for the pre-Chicano movement, I'm going to go back all the way to Mexican independence. Um, obviously, there was, like, Spanish colonization during that, like, you know, that stuff. Mm-hmm. um and when mexico became independent the north side of the country uh where you typically see like the treaty of guadalupe Hidalgo, that part of the country was basically non like we basically there was no mexicans there almost you know it yeah. was mostly uh very few settlements um you have like the um uh, what's the city San- San- santa fe santa fe um you had that one. You had some in uh, California and stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so when Mexico became independent, all that area like was basically controlled still by the tribes, you know, your Comanches, yeah. Apaches, um, Diné, uh, etc. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so uh, at that time, um, uh, what's it called? When Mexico first became independent um, in the years eighteen ten. Through 1821, there was the creation of the like the Mexican Empire at first, uh, which was like um, basically just a monarchy. Yeah, uh, yeah. It lasted very little time—two, mm-hmm. uh, three years, I think. Two years yeah. uh, from 1821 to 23. So it was a long ass fight to get independence, like from 1810 to 1821—eleven years. Uh, but it, like the. The, the creation of the empire obviously signals that it's not going to be, you know, all roses and flowers after the independence movement anyway, you know. Um, uh, during the the, the, the empire, quote-unquote, um, it was really an empire. It was mostly uh, controlled by, you know, the, the same people that were in control before the revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and during this time, there was, still, there was the Apache uh, Mexican War in 1821 to 1831. So that lasted, uh, what, 10 years, too. Mm-hmm. The, during the same time, there was the Comanche Mexican War. Uh, and that la- those lasted a lot longer, actually, from 1821 to 1870. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, the largest around being the 1840s, you know, their largest raids, um, being the most, um, the the biggest battles where yeah. during that time, like right after the fall of the Mexican empire. Yeah. Uh, and then there was also the Chuchumas revolt um, in 1824. Um, so like right from the get go, you had, uh, you know, indigenous people fighting the Mexican government, you know, uh, why? Because the Mexican government was, you know, just basically a copy of European style colonialism, you know, European style yeah. government. Um, and ran by white people you know yeah. just that they had been born in the in 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 the colonies at that time right most of them uh but they all basically thought of themselves as spanish um so then there was the first mexican republic from 1823 to 1835 uh <clears throat> the only good part of this like whole part of like the of, of the like the the movement, uh, like the, the actual pueblo that the, the actual working class in Mexico at the time was very much in, in line or supporting, um, President, um, Guerrero. Yeah,
0: Guerrero.
1: Uh, which actually, you know, he was commanding a lot of the, uh, forces in the South, um, uh, just like, you know, Zapata would later on. Um, and, um, since he was like a mixed man, he was like, uh, half. Well, I don't know if he was half, but he had, he was black. Um, at least of skin tone, skin color, you know, and he had curly hair.
0: Yeah, people say he's like the first black president of Mexico. Yeah,
1: he was the first black president in Mexico. Uh, I, mean, at least as what we would call black now. Yeah, yeah, you know. But at the time, he was probably uh, uh, being called a mestizo, um, yeah, because of his like high status, um, in the government and like um his family connections and stuff, right? Mm-hmm but really he was black you know <laughs> as well we recognize him today um and because of this you know uh he had a lot of support from from like the actual people uh and in 1829 he actually came to power uh in Mexico and immediately abolished slavery abolished uh a bunch of stuff uh but then he he tried to impose taxes on all the all the like criollos that were in power still yeah. uh and that was a no go so they basically overthrew him uh that same year like he only lasted a year but all the reforms about slavery and stuff remained yeah so like they could not get rid of those uh there would have been like revolts and shit you know so mm-hmm. this sets up the story for like the Texas uh independ- independence movement, quote unquote, which is a bunch of bullshit. They were not seeking independence; they were just seeking the expansion of like the American Empire, yeah. Uh, because they wanted slavery, right? Mm-hmm. So they see these developments in Mexico. You know, like even though, like, yeah, like the 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 conservatives, the criollos, are still in power all through this time, uh, in most areas of the country, um. So, like, anyway, uh, they they start seeing that, like, they're not going to be able to keep, uh, what's it called, their slaves, or bringing slaves into Texas. Um, so, they start, like, this movement. So, this is, like, the start of the movement from there. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, but, after 1829, um, the... There's a new president, and then in 1835, there's a new type of republic made, like, because there was a big fight in Mexico during this time always about, like, whether you need a centralist republic or a more uh, decentralized system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during uh, this 1835 to 1846 time, the centralists win, and they installed this type of republic. And then, you know, they, they, they get out of power, and then the original 1823 republic gets restored in 1846 Um, through 1853. So, like, it's actually, like, 1846 through 1848, and then, like, some shit happens in 1848. <laughs> in 1848, I think... Uh, what, what 1848 I mean? is the... The Mexican-American War. Yeah. Which is why uh, you have Santana become, like... Um, a dictator. A dictator, Yeah. Uh, for like a few years um uh, after yeah so you restore the Republic and then the Mexican-American war starts which basically decimates Mexico and then right after that in 1853 you have uh right you have in 1848 the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo 1848 yeah um yeah yeah so Santa Ana did that one and <laughs> falls out of power but then he comes back as a dictator in 1853. In 1847, though, there is, this is, sorry to keep in mind, uh, it doesn't have, like, too much to do, but um, it just keep you in mind because uh, the, basically the, you have to keep in mind this part because it, it shows that the, the structure of the government and, like, the ideology and all this stuff is still very European. And it's still, like, continuing the colonial mindset of the government, you know? In 1847, there was the Castor War of Yucatan. Uh, in Yucatan, all the Maya people rose up and started fighting all the mestizos. And basically, there was a stalemate from 1847 to, like, almost the 1900s, 1911, or something like that. Because the Maya in that area were being supplied by the British through Belize. Um, so they had a lot of weapons, and they were able to keep their own control, of like half of Yucatan, Um so that basically kept going, but like that shows that the Mexican government at the time was not like a progressive <laughs> a force, you know? <laughs> no. uh, anyway. There was the Casta War from eighteen forty seven, right, to like nineteen hundreds. Um but uh I wanna go back and talk to about the Treaty of Guadalupe. I'll go, um because what was this? 1848. This was how many years after the Mexican independence, 1821? So about 26, 27 years after Mexican independence. Why I want to say that is because during this time, the southwest region didn't grow a lot, right? There was a lot of conflict in the area. There was a lot of, like, shit going, happening in, in Mexico, in Mexico. Um, so, like, this region wasn't actually growing, you know, or whatever, um, yeah. at least in the control of Mexico. It yeah. was growing because uh, American settlers were kind of coming into the region, etc., you know?
2: Yeah.
1: And I forget when the uh, gold rush happened. That was the
0: 49ers, so 19- 1849. 1849,
1: right. So, like, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo happened, right? Um and there's stuff in there about, like, the land that Mexico has, the Mexicans have, they'll keep it or whatever. Uh, but all that land was owned by Criollos. Like, they were yeah. owned by, like, the people that were in power at the time, you know, like, which was the white uh, descendants of the Spanish, uh, you know. It was only 20 years after, you know, they were <laughs> and they were still in power at this time. So, like, when when you hear about all these, like, Mexicans that got dispossessed of their land... I would really call them Mexican, you know, (laughs) or I I mean, you could Mm -hmm. call them Mexican, but they were really, you know, Spanish Criollos that remained in power after the Mexican independence movement. Yeah. Um, So those are the people that lost their land mostly uh, as they had the most. Right. And then uh, obviously uh, indigenous people didn't have much land, even in Mexico. Right. Um, And they didn't have uh, a lot of uh, economic power and anything like that. So, they were obviously also dispossessed, uh, but it wasn't like a change all of a sudden, you know? It was like, oh, shit keeps going the same, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's the same as Mexico, you know? The only thing that uh, that was different, obviously, in 1849, the gold rush happened, and... uh
0: state of California was like created soon after.
1: Yeah, soon after it was created, um, and uh, that basically led to the genocide of the, of the indigenous people in, in, uh, in the region of California through like both the mission system and like, just like straight up, there was a lot of fucking battles where they just like straight up just massacred the whole tribe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was like, a like stated campaign by the uh, American military to like, you know, genocide the indigenous tribes of California. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in general, obviously, yeah.
0: Later on, it would happen to all this, stuff, to
1: all but... the all the rest of them, uh, especially uh, here in Arizona. Especially here in Arizona. Um. All right. So, still talking about that. Uh, so yeah, I have this. In 1863, Kit Carson was ordered to pacify. So this is after um, a few years uh, after the Santana dictatorship fell and all this other stuff um uh going back to this to the american side of the history you know um in since the gold rush happened there was a lot of people in california which grew like from like 20,000 people to like half a million or something mm-hmm. in like a few like 2 years or something like that yeah. which was like like that in those times you know like that's like an that's insane, insane amount of growth um so the southwest basically was in a process of being, you know, colonized by the US at this time. Um a process that had been begun by the by Mexico, you know. Their their settlers were dispossessed and installed with white settlers, um white supremacy settlers. (laughs) Um and uh and basically the army was uh tasked with the pacifying all the tribes in the region, you know, the Comanche, the Navajo and all the all the of the Native Americans tribes in, um, in like the whole Southwest region, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1863, there was like a uh, uh, like a specific uh, um, campaign against the Navajo, uh, where they destroyed basically all the their livestock and all their uh, fields and shit, and so they forced them to move to the reservation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on a, l- a few years, so uh, that whole process is happening in- during those times, you know, eighteen sixty three to like the nineteen hundreds. Uh, uh, in eighteen seventy six, the Porfiriato begins in Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. the Porfiriato is when uh Porfirio Diaz became uh president of Mexico, and Porfirio Diaz was like a hero, sort of general from the revolution. That became. Uh, more and more politically uh, important in uh... the revolution
0: against France.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a France sort of took over Mexico for a little bit, and uh, they uh <laughs> overthrew him, uh, Maximiliano, I think, was his name, the emperor at the time. Yeah. They tried to come back to the um uh, monarchy model yeah
0: that um, revolution like
1: it wasn't really it, a revolution yeah it yeah. wasn't really a revolution it just, but yeah, it was it was a sort of like a small one-year conflict thing uh
0: where, where basically the battle of Heaven, you know
1: it was like during the mexican-american war sort of uh or like like right after right after yeah, yeah. um but yeah i mean mexico at, at the time um well the um, the French were being attacked by like um, I think they just saw an opportunity after Mexico yeah. fucking uh, you know was, was decimated, decimated by the, the Mexican American War and um, uh, um, they took over or whatever um, because the Spanish had been kicked out as well yeah uh, and uh, they were being tied up in some other conflict at the time I forget where uh, I think
0: against the English but it doesn't matter
1: it doesn't matter. Uh, Anyway, he was, like, a sort of army general at the time. And so, uh, and he was a a mestizo um, or whatever. So, like, initially, he had some support from the people. Uh, But as time went on, you know, as his dictatorship kept prolonging and they kept promising elections, but they never came. Right. And when they did, he he just won (laughs) by 90 (laughs) percent. Right. <clears throat> so, the Porfiriato goes on for uh, a few decades. Yeah. Um all the way up to the Mexican Revolution, uh where uh in 1910 there was like a um an election, you know, another one and uh he wins obviously. <laughs> and so everybody gets mad and they start fucking uh, you know, raising their armies and their militias and start fighting and shit, you know? So it goes to shit, uh, in that area, um, in 1910, is when the Mexican Revolution started. Uh, I'll go back to the Costa War. In 1901, it basically became a stalemate, you know? And it, it had been basically over, like declared over, like, um, the, because there was no, like, continual fighting, you know, there was just a little bit of skirmishes here and there. So it was just basically a stalemate by 1901. No actual, like, armies going to war with each other, right? And that meant that Yucatan was split in half and half of it, uh, during the Mexican Revolution, like, Yucatan was not, like, uh, the Mayan government of Yucatan was not involved in the revolution. Yeah. No. Uh, Because they didn't want a Mexican government. They didn't like the government. (laughs) Okay. So, in 1911, Porfiriato ends. Violence breaks out. Mexican Revolution starts, right? Yeah. In 1915, the revolutionary government uh, that had sprung out at the time uh, uh, sent uh, General Salvador Alvarado to basically... Uh, expropriate the Mayan government because in 1911 they had been stopped uh, trade. They had stopped trading with um, the British. The British had mm-hmm. cut them off uh, because the British wanted the Mexican government to basically take over the territory, and they had be better relations with the Mexican government that that would be more profitable than keeping relations with the Yucatan government. So they stopped providing arms to them, and basically. In 1911, they get taken over by the Mexican government, or at least some of the forces 1915. fighting.
2: 1915.
1: 1915, sorry. So, General Salvador Alvarado uh, basically was sent by the revolutionary government to restore order in Yucatan, right? So, mm-hmm. they arrest a bunch of people and then disband the, um, their army, uh, all this other stuff, right? Um, In 1917, uh, the new Mexican constitution is born yeah. um, by the, led by the Carranza forces of the Mexican Revolution Party. Um, I am write Mexican Revolution Party. By the Mexican Revolution, there was a few parties, you know, the Emiliano Zapatas, Batistas, the, um, at North, you had the, what do they call it?
0: The Guerrilleros? No.
1: Yeah. Um, I... The Pancho Villa, the Villistas. Yeah, the Villistas, Yeah, yeah, Pancho Villa, and then his uh, uh, in the north, and you had Zapata in the south, and then you had Carranza sort of in the middle of, of uh, like around the 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 capital.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> but Carranza was sort of a liberal, sorta. Uh, if, if you would we could call them that um anyway he uh his forces were the ones that made the 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 constitution that we have uh today um it basically combines some of the uh calls from uh the zapata movement um in the constitution um so that uh, they could consul- consolidate a lot of the uh, other um, groups in, in Mexico that were fighting at the time. Uh, the Villistas and the Zapatistas were not included in the like negotiation of it or anything like that, but their, their ideas were taken, right? Anyway, by this time in uh, 1917, uh, Carranza basically came into power. Um uh they made the past the constitution all that stuff and then in by 1919 uh there was still fighting going on because uh the uh Carranza had uh basically taken power um and like disbanded the the, the Congress and so Zapata was like, "Well, you betrayed, you know, the the, the spirit of the thing, you know?" um and so in 1919 Carranza tricks Zapata and kills him uh gets him assassinated and basically the same thing happens to Villa He, he sort of goes north of the border never to be seen again so basically we can assume that he was assassinated or die somehow right so but by 1920 uh he uh um uh, Carranza is basically forced out of power, you know, uh by other military generals and stuff, uh fighting for power themselves. Mm-hmm. But in in their struggle for power, they basically have to restore the constitution of nineteen seventeen, right? And that's basically uh where it just oh. like that's where it landed, right? Like the 1917 Constitution is w- what was implemented by 1920. In 1920 to 1940, there was the Maximato, somewhere around there. Maxim the Maximato happened, which was sort of like a- another sort of bourgeois dictatorship. There um, by uh, this one guy, Elias
0: cayes Huh? Elias cayes or?
1: Uh, yeah. Elias, uh, what, what was his name? Basically, he created the PNR, the Partido Nacional Revolucionario, uh, which is the pre-pre party, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, uh, well, they call it the Maximian because he, while he wasn't president, he was basically running the country. Um, uh, he was president for like a yeah. few years, and and um, but he but he stopped being president because in Mexico you only get six years, right? Uh, and you can't rerun again. Um but he was still the the main uh like jefe, they they would call him the jefe maximo, which is why it was called the Maximato, right? The, the the jefe maximo. That wasn't his name wasn't even Maximiliano or whatever. Yeah. That's why what, you know, don't don't wanna get confused to the stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um But there was like a succession of leaders from his party from 1920 to like 1935 uh, when Lázaro Cárdenas was elected. Um, And then, but during that time, it's important to remember uh, these, all these leaders uh, were from basically um, still descendants of like the Criollos uh, and stuff like in the families and like the powerful families of the time uh they had become a little more mixed <laughs> by this time and you can tell by their skin colors and stuff uh but they had basically still uh um carried on their ideologies from their families you know and stuff and like that um so they created but because they were a lot of them had incorporated a lot of more um indigenous people and like uh um mestizos into their uh, administrations and stuff they they did uh run with the whole indigenismo thing uh in 1920s um mostly because of jose vasconcelos he did write the his essay the la raza cosmica in 1921 and that was very influential in mexico uh, at least amongst the intelligentsia at the time which was really like the Maximato. People. For the people
0: that are listening, do not forget that guy's name, Jose Vasconcelos. Yeah, Jose very Vasconcelos. important.
1: Yeah, very important. Um, it, like is this is where like the ideology comes from. Uh, if the Chicano movement later on, yeah. Um, but Jose Vasconcelos, uh, becomes the secretary of public education, uh, mm-hmm. in, in 1921, uh, right after he writes his uh. Uh, magnus opus la raza (laughs) cosmica la La raza cosmica um and they try to sort of pick this up like the government this book is very influential uh, amongst the like the levels of government um and they want to just basically create a new uh national identity around it you know uh, so they start pushing this stuff by like funding artists, funding like movements and stuff like that. You know, Frida, Carlos, Diego Rivera, they all came from like their murals that were funded by the government. Uh, like Diego's murals all, all were like funded by government, um, like money. You know, they, they were, he was given money to make those murals. It, it wasn't like just, he did it, mm-hmm. whatever. And Frida, <clears throat> sort the same deal. She came from a family, wealthy family of, uh, German people and, um, uh, what's it called, and was very uh, connected. So her art dealing with indigenism was also very popularized because of that, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So so that happened, 1920, 1940. Uh, and then um, in 1935, Lázaro Cárdenas gets elected. Uh, and some people see him as a really good president. Uh, in Mexico I disagree uh, <laughs> but whatever uh and uh, I want to talk more about like this side of the border now because it's getting to the point where the like the roots of the of the Chicano movement start forming yeah. around this time right the in um, 1942 because people want to tell you that the Chicano movement sort of begins, by the Guadalupe, algo, no. but not really, you no. know, that's that's not really the roots of the movement. The roots of the movement are like the Mexican Revolution, uh, what happens after you know the 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 defeat of the Mexican Revolution,
2: yeah,
1: uh, and then the Bracero programs, those are the roots of the Chicano movement, you know, um, basically, 1921, La Raza Cosmica becomes, uh, State ideology. So it's being taught in all the public schools. And then by 1942, 20 years later, the Bracero program starts, which brings like hundreds of thousands of people over from Mexico to work in the fields here in the U.S. Uh, millions, actually. Uh, well, actually, let me go back a little bit. Um, you wouldn't find too many uh, indigenous Mexicans at this time in this side of the border i mean you would find quite a few but not as much as before because they had been systematically being deported from uh 1948 the uh, tira Guadalupe algo to all the way through the bracero program um uh and so uh 1848 all the way to the bracero program so like around 40 50 years there's been uh, systematic deportations and like lynchings and stuff like that of, Mexi- of like, indigenous Mexicans in Mexico. I mean, in the U.S., in what used to be the Southwest. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Texas has all the um, uh, Texas Rangers mm-hmm. which go and hunt down Mexicans and black people um, and indigenous people, obviously.
0: Are the Yaquis
2: part of the, this lynching, or the systematic lynching?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. all 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 the all the tribes, okay. all the tribes at this time are being targeted by like uh by um, like multiple states. Um, and then
0: they're being pushed back to Mexico. Or? That,
1: yeah, like most okay. of them are being pushed. Like either either your tribe is being pushed back to Mexico, or, or being you're being, or you're getting killed yeah. or deported. You know, if you don't have a tribe, if you're just like a Mexican living in the city. A lot of them were being deported. Their lands, like whatever lands or belongings they had, they were being taken. You know. It was sort of like a everybody type thing, you know. No, no, no Mexicans, no nothing, you know, nothing. No, no black, no. They were just disseminating everybody from like the start, like 1948, like 1848 to like 1942. So, I don't know, 50, 60 years, 40, Mm -hmm. 50, 60 years. Um, 1942 brings millions of people back, you know, into the territory from mexico uh most of them indigenous obviously they're the poorest who else is gonna go um obviously there's tons of labor abuses capitalism is full-blown going at this time now you know so it, especially it
0: was, during world war
1: ii yeah especially during world war ii um uh, you you obviously have operation wetback uh happening also which is where the term wetback comes from <laughs> um in the guess, 50s. yeah in the 50s yeah uh, after, obviously, they start the Bracero program. A bunch of them stay, start having families, and then Operation Wetback sends a bunch of even US citizens back to Mexico just because of their skin color, right? Yeah. A few, um, few years, like years after the The Bracero program, yeah. right? Yeah. A few, about a decade after. Yeah, a decade after. Yeah, about a decade
0: after. When they realized that they don't need them anymore. They, yep. Yeah, send them back. Yeah. Uh, by
1: 1962, the program had brought uh millions of people uh, and in 1962 it ends uh going back a little bit further uh, a little a little bit more back in 1943 right after the start of the program uh, because uh in 1942 was the start of the program but by that time there was already like migration happening to the us from mexico uh because of uh, the imperialism you know of happening uh, with the Maximili, um, um, the Maximato, they, they, they were very conservative liberals, so they, they really did invite a lot of foreign investment into Mexico. Uh, so, you know, as we know from Lenin, uh, imperialism causes migration from the, from the periphery to the, to the core. Yeah. Um. So that was happening. Uh, so in 1943, one of the more important things happened, uh, in terms of the Chicago Movement, the Zutsu riots or uprisings, 1943 to 1943. It was just like a few days. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but there's also a lot of other, like, internationally, not, I don't know about international, internationalist, um, things that happened, um, uh, between the, between the Mexican, um, workers at that time mm-hmm. and what? other, uh, immigrant communities, uh, okay. operating the Southwest
0: for the people, like for people that don't really know the mm-hmm.
1: Zuzu riots, what was, what happened? Uh, what happened was in, uh, California, uh, I forget the town. I think it's Oakland. I'm not sure. Oakland. Maybe. We'll say Oakland, but back check us on that. um. Uh, there was a marine base or, a marine landing and, uh, they basically got into a little fight with, uh, some, uh, local, um, I guess, uh, Mexican youth, uh, and at that time they would wear the suit suits, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? Um, and so that became sort of the, 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 the the military uniform for the, for the people of the town, um. fighting against like the literally the Marines <laughs> and 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 the cops uh who were helping the Marines. Uh so it was like a few days, uh about a week of like riots and 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 shit, uh, you know, fighting in the streets and stuff like that between Marines and, and suit suitors. Uh so that was the Sutsu riots. Was there a lot of casualties? I don't think so. I don't know. I actually don't know about that. But Do you know, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> but in 1943, there was a. I I personally think like maybe a little more important event. 1943 Japanese Mexican strike in Dayton, okay, uh, Dayton, Washington. Dayton, Washington. Yeah, all the way up there. Uh, and basically, it was because of the Bracero program. They have brought Japanese workers and Mexican workers into Dayton, Washington to. Work in the farms in the northwest.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah, and there was a alleged la- rape by the whatever um, where, um, owners of there, and then that set off the strike. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1956, you know, this is important for later on. Uh, 1956, uh, Cointel Pro starts um, to combat, you know, the the growing communist movement in the south uh led by the CPUSA um and the sharecroppers uh, mm-hmm. so that's that that happened in 1956 right before the what's it called uh I'm sure there was other programs going on beforehand but Cointel Pro the actual program by the FBI starts in 1956 according to their papers right um so this Becomes more, um, what's it called? Important later on, I guess, yeah. um, when the civil rights movements begin. So the Bracero program ended, you know, in 1960, 1962. Uh, same year uh, is basically when the Chicano movement starts. Uh, UFW uh, is started by Dolores Huerta and other people. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. That is right. Uh, in 1965, the Filipino and Mexican worker strike um, helped the UFW uh, win some uh, some stuff. Uh, this is where the Un- our Unity Club comes from um, that we start all the meeting meetings with. Uh, Mayo Mexican American uh, Youth Organization Youth Organization uh, is formed in 1967, uh, and they they're formed in 1967 and. Uh, They're basically taking some of the tactics from SNCC on the student non-violent coordinating committee, Mm -hmm. which uh, is where a lot of the other 1960s uh, revolutionary uh, organizations come from. Um,
0: And leaders, notably. Yeah, the
1: leaders. Yeah. Notably Kwame Ture and a bunch of other ones. Yeah, Uh, a bunch of other ones. Yeah. Uh, In 1968 the young lords are formed and the brown berets are formed senior uh and they're mirroring the tactics of the black panther party right uh which was started i think a few years earlier yeah yeah snake started then the black panther party started mm-hmm. um and then in 1968 the chicano blowouts happened um and basically by this time uh uh, there had been some liberalization of the of the um, of like the government and stuff. You know, uh, it was after the Second World War, um, and so a lot of uh, wealth had happened in the U.S. in terms of like material conditions for working people, and so, but obviously, didn't happen evenly, right? Uh, it was mostly for white people. So while there was schools and and public education and, like, all this other shit uh, that was sorta provided. Uh, uh, Mexican uh, youth, uh, Chicano youth or whatever, wasn't really getting the benefits of it, right? The, the, the graduation rate was, like, in the low tens or whatever. Um, and, and And basically the entire history being taught was, you know, fake, just as it is now but <laughs> yeah. even more white and racist you know yeah. more overt racism in there yeah. uh so the blowouts happened where like a bunch of chicano youth just walked out of the schools and like demanded more like better education and all this other stuff and more um an ethnic studies, ethnic uh sensitive education i guess yeah. um and this all culminated into the Colorado Chicano Youth Conference in nineteen sixty nine. A year later, of the blowouts, where a bunch of like Mexican American uh, organizations, Chicano organizations, came together and formed Mecha in uh, Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. Yeah kind of weird place to do uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's now hella gentrified uh, and... super gentrified now <laughs> at the time i think it was like a, a farming town okay right? um it wasn't that there wasn't a bunch of fucking rich people living there you know yeah. it's beautiful there yeah. which is why there's all the gentrification happening yeah uh but at the time it was a uh, it wasn't that it wasn't that um gentrified so in 1969, that's where uh, basically the the start of the of Mecha uh, as a organization begins. Uh, they basically come up with the El Plan Espiritual de Aslan, which is where the whole Aslan idea comes from. You're not gonna find Aslan anywhere. The starting of the Aslan ideology anywhere else, but in this document. Go ahead. What is Aslan for people that don't okay? Know? Aztlan is the mythical homeland of the Mexica people. What are the Mexica people? The Mexica people are the one of the three tribes of the of the of the triple the alliance, triple alliance yeah. of the triple alliance, which is known by most people as the Aztec Empire. Yeah. Um, uh, they're one of the tribes that uh, basically patrol the the area of the Aztec Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the colonization of Mexico um, by Spanish uh, so they have a, a myth that they came from the north of the country uh, be where the seven caves are uh, and then the god um, of war of the uh, Aztec of the Mexica people told them that they should go to should go south uh, and to find where the lake uh, with the snake perched on a cactus with the snake on its, uh, with, the, with the eagle eagle eating a snake eagle eating a snake on the cactus yeah in the middle of the lake so they go south and find Tenochtitlan or whatever yeah. the lake and uh, they build there and that's where the empire starts right yeah. so Aslan is the mythical homeland of the of the Mexica and we call it mythical because. There's no real record that it's anywhere in specific. It's just, yeah. it's in the north. That's all, that basically, you know? Yeah. And, um, and and it's not even clear that they say it's in the north. It's just like, oh, it's like... It's north. It's up from here. It's up That's from it. here, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, it, and so, but most actual, like, scholarship, I think nowadays are saying that it's like around the, the north side of Mexico, Maybe in the south, as uh, Sinaloa, and, like that area, mm-hmm.
0: um, Sinaloa, Zacateca,
1: Zacatecas, all around all the that area. Around that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because the myth says in the north, <laughs> uh, and because uh, all all the youth, all the Okay. the el plan espiritual de Aslan comes from also comes from a, a poem written by uh, the. Uh, What's it called? The poet um, Alurista, um, which is a Chicano man uh, whose parents are from Mexico. And I think, uh, I'm not entirely sure about this. He was, um, he did study in Mexico for a bit of time uh, because, you know, he was Mexican. (laughs) And his parents, uh, I think, moved them there or something. I can't remember exactly. But he basically... Uh, either him or his parents uh, basically received the education uh, of, like, the Mexican government, uh, post-revolutionary Mexican government, right? So, like, the Carranza and, like, uh, José Vasconcelos, all that shit was taught to them. Uh, So, and that includes the myth of Aslan, right? Um, Where uh, it goes weird is because they take this myth and then they say, well, Aslan is the Southwest, the entire Southwest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our people have an ancestral link to this, uh, Southwest and to this land. And so this is our land. We're not strangers in this land. This is, this is, we belong here. This is our land, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like the weird part because, like, that's not really a, a real claim because, <laughs> uh, not only do you not know where Aslan is, uh, like most Mexican people aren't Mexica, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: They're from a bunch of other tribes. Yeah. They're a bunch of like non tribes, you know, they're mestizos or whatever. Or uh, some of them are white. <laughs> some of them are white. Exactly. Uh so like uh there was a double like confusion going on mm-hmm. about like not only where Aslan is or what it is, but who is Mexican and what is a Mexican, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and so that from the get-go, it was kind of uh, a shit show. Uh, Mostly because the history being taught to all these people is just the history of indigenismo. Uh, Post-revolutionary Mexico, you know, racist as Vasconcelos uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is what was taught to them, you know, and so they take this and try to extract the most revolutionary, most uh, I guess, indigenous content out of it, but it still lands into, you know, the reproduction of settler colonialism and capitalism, you know? Um, anyway, uh, they also make El Plan de Santa Barbara, which is like the, it's like a huge book of, uh, detailing the Chicano, uh, Chicano studies program.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, all still based on the Vasconcelos indigenismo, uh, you know, myth and stuff. Um, But, uh, through all this time, uh, there's like demonstrations and stuff by Chicanos and and stuff. At the same time, all the, all the civil, civil rights stuff is happening with black people. Um, so you see a lot of, uh, participation in the Chicano study stuff by Boricua and Central Americans and like other people, you know? Um, in 1970s, in the 1970s, stuff gets a little more revolutionary. La Raza Unida Party begins January 17,
0: 1970. What is La
1: Raza Unida? La Raza Unida Party is uh, a Marxist Leninist organization. Uh, really?
0: Explicitly Marxist Leninist? Yeah. Okay.
1: Which is why they started getting assassinated almost immediately. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, in 1942, uh, Ricardo Falcón, one of the leadership, uh, is assassinated in 1972. Yeah, 1972 by a Cointo pro. Damn. Right. Uh, that same year, the first Chicano Studies program uh, is granted. Um, the uh, t- 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 same year, uh, the Chicano moratorium against the war, which is the Vietnam War, um, happens. Oh, well, yeah, well, the Vietnam War is happening at this time, you know, yeah. by now. Um, so, La Raza Unida Party is a organization, which is not good because we're still in the Cold War at this time, you know, not good for them. And so they start getting assassinated almost immediately, uh, 19, like two years into it. They, uh, and this is going to be something that it was strange. I, I find it strange because, like, uh, black revolutionaries get gunned down, uh, like shot mostly, you know, it, during this time. But, like, Chicano revolutionaries get car bombed. Car <laughs> bombed? Yeah, so the guy of Falcone is assassinated, but he, he, the way he's assassinated is a car bomb. Like, there's a bomb that goes off yeah. in his car, and he dies, he, you know, burns to death or whatever. But that's not the only car bombings that happen. Yeah. Machistas in, in, uh, get car bombed in, in Boulder, Colorado, too, around this time, in 19, uh, 1974, two years later. Six Mecha students, um, are, are, assassinated the same way with car bombs. The hell? Right? That's <laughs> so weird. It's so strange. <laughs> but yeah, like, and so in 1974, that happens and that basically stamps down the, the Chicano, um, revolutionary movement.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: After this time, you hear a lot of, um, the Chicano, leadership and, like, all the Chicano people started really being afraid and stepping back from the movement. They all talk about it in, like, um, interviews, that's, that's... interviews that they give. Uh, after Los Seis in 1974, they were like, oh, fuck, like, they're just gonna try to kill all of us. Yeah. And so, they it sort of really winds down after that, you know? Uh, in 1978, uh, the Unida Party is dissolved only eight years after uh its founding. Um and then in nineteen seventy seven there's uh this weird movement too. Um uh there's this movement in, in in California that sort of revives Mecha. Uh not not the other revolution not the other organizations, but but because Mecha is specifically dealing with uh education at this time and they're mostly just in the schools and stuff uh there's the anti-vaque struggle um in 1977. uh this struggle began when the california court system struck down a law providing affirmative action to minorities in schools immediately chicano students along with uh, students of other nationalities began to organize against it right so they sort of like revised mecha in in california which is why you see so many uh Mecha chapters in California. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, this uh, movement really gave spark to the statewide Mecha organization in California. So, and so, like, you see a lot of teachers, a lot of, uh, admin in California have Mecha backgrounds. Like, there were all, almost all of them, like, a huge part of them were in Mecha. Obviously, by this time, Cold War super in. Go mode, you know, U.S. is backing in in Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, and all this leads to migration, like mass migration from Mexico, you know, El Salvador, all, all these uh, South American places and uh, the Caribbean to the U.S. So in the eighties, you see a lot of more, uh, like uh,
0: non-Mexican
1: non-Mexican uh, Me- migration. Or
0: um, a migration.
1: Yeah, especially to the Southwest. The Southwest was like way, way like, I know it's still now yeah. majority Mexican, you know, uh, but it was even more at that time, you know, and then, um, but, uh, all these coupes basically destabilized the entire region and migration starts happening, you mm-hmm. know, and this is what, where the roots of what we're dealing today with the migration crisis, uh, come from, you know, also, you know, uh, Climate change, but that just makes it worse.
0: Climate change and other more newer things, but yeah.
1: Know, By the eighties, going to pro homophobia, racism, patriarchy, all this other shit, uh, basically decimates all the revolutionary organizations in the U.S. Um, oh yeah. There's no Black Panther Party. Like it's super weak now. um All the other ones are basically gone. Uh, the RUP obviously disbanded a few years earlier. Um, and then, you know, Cointone Pro is still going on, assassinating people. Uh, during this whole thing, Iran-Contra happens. Uh, but for that, I'm going to pass it over to Chui.
0: Okay, so... The Iran-Contra affair that... I um, hope y'all know, but if y'all don't, it's so right. Um, it's kind of confusing. But basically, um, the Reagan administration was blocked to fund um, the this... The contras, which were the uh, the the uh, counter-revolutionary reactionary forces, there you can classify them as death squads um, that decimated and killed civilians and and um, the, the 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 socialist revolutionary uh, force uh, FSLM which is the Frente Sandinista de Liberación Nacional, um, the National Liberation Front of the Sandinistas. Um, Basically, what the arrangement was is that, um, Oliver North, that's the guy, um, he, he thought of a plan to give money, no, sell arms to Iran at the time because, um, Iran was like having like an arms embargo. And then from the money that, um, that was gained from selling those guns to Iran, that money would go to the Contras. And um, I, like as as a backhanded transaction, and um, that would fund the contest. But um, uh, the 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 United States American people like found out that that was happening and basically was like a violation of the law. And but you know, no one like got penalized. Literally, Oliver North became like a or Fox News anchor. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's the whole.
2: Indeed.
1: yeah i mean something that's not mentioned is uh the way that they would transfer the money was um uh, through the selling of cocaine. oh yeah
0: yeah true true
1: <laughs> they were so basically they would uh the u.s government uh would allow the the contrast to uh import export uh cocaine and arms uh through mexico and through their oh yeah, yeah. through their um um routes uh mm-hmm. to the point where they had a ranch in Veracruz, uh mexico where they would train the contras and they would uh ship out the the cocaine and uh <clears throat> one person that was instrumental for this was actually this um this uh cuban guy um uh, that works at the cia uh, i forget his name but basically, uh, this Cuban person is famous in my part of the world in Sinaloa because he's the guy that killed uh, uh, Kiki Camarena, or is believed. We all believe that he's the guy that killed Kiki Camarena. Um, mm-hmm. And this is important because this shows you how involved the CIA is in the in the tra- in the in the drug trade deal, uh, or mm-hmm. in the drug trade markets black markets around the world you know same guy that that uh, basically coordinates the contras, uh, uh fueling uh, cocaine into the into the into the u.s is the same guy that that is like uh fucking controlling the sinaloa cartel you know crazy uh but true uh another important thing that happened in the 80s on the mexican side of the border is uh, in 1983, the EZLN was founded also. Um, And the EZLN is the uh, Ejercito Zapatista de Liberación Nacional. Um, So National Liberation Zapatista Army. Army. All right. Uh, Throughout this time, in Mecha... You basically had uh, the a process of like liberalization of the of the org because of its focus on on education, um, and uh, and just that section of the of the of the movement, you know. Uh, so by the '90s, basically everybody is really uh, integrated into the education. like everybody in the matcha movement is really integrated into the education academia system you know uh and a lot of the former members become either teachers or politicians or academics you know um and so during this time there's also like the obsession with the 60s and the 70s begins you know they they begin to like just sort of uh romanticize romanticize just like <laughs> just 20 years earlier <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> what happened just 20 years earlier you know like 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 ha- like as if some great uh like liberation had happened you know yeah. that's not what happened you know it was more of a assimilation that happened than anything mm-hmm. which is f- funny because it was one of literally the founding like um like one of the founding uh uh themes, principles. principles of like the movement was like anti-assimilation you know uh but because of the confusion of like the ideology and all this stuff and like uh Lachey, you you end up you know just getting integrated into the system because mm-hmm. you don't see what's really going on you know yeah uh so in the 90s all this shit is happening uh, and then uh, uh you know chicago studies becomes obsessed with the 70s and and like the movement basically atrophies like there's nothing really happening in the 90s anymore in terms of revolutionary movement uh, uh organi- organizing anymore Until, like, the 1984 uh, NAFTA deal happens, and basically, that sets up that sets off the uh, Zapatista uprising in 1994. Uh, And basically, that like sort of revives the Chicano movement on this side of the border, uh, at least on the academic level, uh, where they. really support the the zapatistas uh and make the uh, this does have some like so, a little bit of an effect in the mexican government because if there wasn't like such a big international um uh like movement protest movement and stuff the mexico would have probably just bombed the shit out of the <laughs> out of the area you know yeah. they uh, when the Zapatistas, uh, rose up, they, half of them didn't even have guns, you know, they were carrying fake rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, this, like, uh, they're, they're basically their saving grace was like the, such a huge protest movement that they had behind them in not just the country, the rest of the country, but like internationally. Yeah. You know? Uh, but this also kind of sort of, uh, comes with the bad side, you know, the, the academic movement. Or like the academic side of the of the of the Chicano movement really becomes, uh, like uh, enamored with the Zapatistas, you know, and many often go over to Zapatista territory and try to uh, learn stuff and like participate in their in their um, uh, like sort of um, conferences that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but like, because of this, you, um, a lot of them fall, all, they <laughs> continually fall back into the indigenismo shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, during this time, anarchism grows a lot in Necha, uh, actually, because they see the Zapatistas as sort of being an anarchist movement. Which is weird because they're a national liberation movement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, you would think anarchists don't believe in nations. Uh, Regardless. Regardless, you know. Uh, So that's what happened. Uh, Indigenous movement in Mexico and Latin America, you know, breathed life back into like the Chicano movement uh, during this time. A little bit, you know, at least on the academic side. Mm -hmm. Alright, so moving on to the 2000s. The Zapatista stuff happened already. Uh, The main focus during the 2000s uh, becomes immigration, right? Um, Immigration starts getting crazy. Uh, So many people start moving because of the NAFTA deal, you know, decimates the local economies of like tons and tons of farmers in Mexico, which is why the Zapatistas rose up. Um, and so, uh, during this time, liberalism, again, becomes the main, like, focus, like, the main, uh, like, ideology within Mecha and, like, just the academic movement in general. Um, and, I, I mean, during this time, uh, a couple of other things happened, like, in American society. You know, 19, uh, in 2001, the World nine Trade nine Center, nine, nine. 9-11, happened. Um, and uh, a lot of, like... In, A lot of the 90s, like, feminist, uh, stuff, uh, culminates into, like, women becoming, like, the majority of people going to college. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, by that time, uh, like, in the 2000s, uh, women also become the majority of enrolled students in, uh, for Chicanos, in, uh, uh, so, like, Mecha also becomes majority women (laughs) at that Mm -hmm. time, you know? Um. In 2001, 2003, and now I'm just going to focus more on Mecha. Um, Yeah. um, There was a a national constitution change uh, from 2001 to 2003 where um, uh, all the positions are supposed to be held by a man and a woman. You know, that's something that happens uh, after, uh, like, all this stuff Um, The majority of uh, Mecha membership becomes women. Uh, and then another important thing happens in uh, in 2003, ICE is created, it's sort of used, you know signaling that uh, immigration is becoming a huge problem and uh, like a major current um, in American politics. In 2004, CAFTA happens, which is the Central American Free Trade Agreement, uh, mirroring NAFTA. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, there, there was not a lot of like. Um, I would say organizing against it, but basically it uh, decimates the Caribbean and Central America just as, as uh, NAFTA had decimated Mexico, you know, uh, and so that causes a lot of, again, migration, from uh, those countries into the U.S. Uh, during this time, uh, most Chicano organizations just fucking atrophy, uh, mm-hmm. no, no, no growth, no connection to the masses, and I think. Uh, Chicanos for la causa, UFW, Mecha, They're all like nobody's basically by now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, self-determination and like nationalism specifically really fall by the wayside in the 2000s. They don't. They're seen as like author authoritarian, right? Like the 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 culmination of the Cold War basically. Um, uh, see, uh, you know uh, seeps into like the into the academic side of the of the movement. So they, they all believe all this bullshit about the USSR, China, you know, anti-communism stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so uh, a lot of them are very anti-nationalist during this time. Um, and, like, self-determination is, like, nowhere to be talked about, right? Um, into the... Uh, going into 2010s, um, 2010s, more closer. 2010... Um, a lot of the LGBTQ movement, uh, stuff sort of comes up within Mecha, uh, and, uh, the war becomes a lot more inclusive to marginalized folks. Um, uh, the, the constitution against gets changed to, instead of saying like a uh, man and woman, you know, they'll say like, uh, two different genders have to occupy the, the positions, uh, stuff like that, you know? and during this time um just like in the in the 90s there, there was like a low level of criticism towards the whole chicano ideology the aslan stuff mostly coming from central americans and boricua people uh mostly because they didn't feel included into like the into the movement uh you know sort of thing uh but in the 2010s uh criticisms actually start to come up from like actual material sources you know like uh like, the myth of a like, doesn't make any sense, uh, Mexican nationalism, you know, Jose Vasconcelos, like, criticism of him, that coming up, um, uh, criticism, machismo, and all this other stuff, uh, and then, like, really, like, the criticism that, like, nothing's been happening for, like, the last 20 years, you know, in the movement, uh, this leads to, at least in, in the in uh, Mecha leads to uh, us changing the name in 2020. Uh, what's
0: uh, what's the struggle with the changing of the name?
1: Why does changing the name matter? Oh yeah. So Mecha stands originally it stood for Movimiento Estudiantil Chicano de Aslan. Right. Um, so the struggle with the name change is that that a lot of our alumni, a lot of the people that were brought up in Mecha um, still believe in the Islam myth, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, when we started criticizing it, when we started trying to change the name, um, they saw it more of as an attack of us on Chicanismo, on like the Chicano identity itself, uh, rather than like... Well, they, they thought we were saying that Chicanos don't exist, uh, basically, you know, because we said that Aslan doesn't exist, uh, <laughs> you know, which is not what we were saying at all. We were just saying that Aslan doesn't exist and that uh, Chicanos are not, you know, uh, Mexica, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, which is why we criticize the, all the Chicanos doing danza and stuff, you know. Um, what is danza? The, danza is the Mexica... Uh, dance that was like recreated after the revolution um because it had stopped being done it was mm-hmm. actually illegal in mexico for uh, mexica people to do their ceremonies until like right after the revolution like mm-hmm. think during the 1930s uh and you know during the whole movement to revive indigenismo and all that shit uh they sort of uh revived uh, Danza Mexica um, how did how did Danza get over to the United States in 1970 something uh, 78 I think uh, uh, this guy went to Mexico <laughs> and learned dance and then came back <laughs> and just taught it to people and now people do it and understand. now people do it here yeah. uh, it's very weird connections uh, like that you know um, where it's like people just get in their heads about like that they are even though they have no connection to it mm-hmm. and so they travel thousands of miles to, <laughs> to like uh, learn shit that they have no connection to Yeah, uh, this is a, a huge uh, theme in the Chicano movement you know you see all it in the in, like I was talking about a lot of the academics go over to uh, Chiapas to learn from the Zapatistas and shit uh, instead of you know just uh, going over to the dinner <laughs> and trying to learn there and stuff, you know, uh, or something more that makes more sense, <laughs> or going to the barrio here and trying to learn from the people here, you know, what I'm saying, uh or you gotta go all the way fucking Chiapas. Uh, yeah. Not that Chiapas doesn't deserve solidarity; they do, but I just don't think that's what it should look like, you know. Yeah. Um, in 2010. You see the conservative movement in the U.S. really start attacking uh, immigrants. Um, you start getting laws all over the Southwest um, targeting uh, immigrants. Uh, in the AZ in Arizona, you got the SB 1070. Joe Arpaio. Joe Arpaio, you know, show me your papers law. Mm-hmm. Um, basically legalizing um, a racial, uh, what is it called?
2: Uh, racial, profile, profiling.
1: racial profiling, where they would just pull over anybody that looked imm- Suspicious. suspiciously immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> and ask them for their papers. This even, I don't know if you all remember this, but this even, uh, in like 2008 or something, there was this like Mexican kid, I would say Mexican kid, but he was a U.S. citizen from L.A. that got deported uh, to Mexico. Even though he was a citizen, because he didn't speak English, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's like, that was like the sentiment, like, was very strong, uh, at the time, uh, in the 2010 era of anti immigration. During the same year, uh, they banned ethnic studies in Tucson, um, which was a whole shit show, you know, um, uh, and stuff.
0: Was SB 1070 defeated?
1: Some of it. Half defeated, um, they they were able to get rid of the the show me your papers part, but all the all the other shit around it, like the rest of the lot, basically stayed intact. Okay, yeah.
0: Did did um, did the mobilizations that resulted from SB ten seventy have an effect on organizing here locally? In what way do you mean? Like. Obviously, it did create like organizations did become like they did resurface or like they they surfaced from it. Yeah. Um, what are those type of organizations
1: like? Right. So, in in Phoenix specifically, in in Arizona, uh, Mecha really came back during that time. That's when I joined Mecha uh, because they were doing canvassing uh, to like try to get people to go vote um, and. uh, in Phoenix basically, like, Puente came out of that. Um, uh, what is it called? A bunch of other orgs where it all started at the same time. Promise Arizona. Um, Mast Lib, I want to say. A uh, bunch of other orgs um, come from, like, the struggle against SB 1070, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, that did sort of revive the... I don't know if it revived the movement, but it made it more necessary. So, it actually started, you know some movements started happening some organizations started happening but again this was all still very liberal in yeah. uh, in nature in nature and steered towards the reform right like they wanted to reform the law and that's basically what happened you know they just basically reformed the law which just a little bit of hurt but not they basically still passed most of the shit they wanted you know uh, queer studies become a lot more central in the organization in the academy, you know, in Mecha, mm. uh becomes a lot more uh, like instrumental, you know. Uh, towards the end of the 2010s, like getting to 2020, uh, you you get a uh, like uh, inclusive pronouns, like uh, trans inclusi- inclusi- inclusion, inclusion, um, all this other stuff, you know, uh, inclusion becomes mainstream you know mm-hmm. all this other stuff starts happening uh, uh, during this time uh, and we' we'll, we'll basically we we're here today 2000, you know, 2020 uh, 20, uh, 20s yeah 20s uh main uh ideologies are still liberalism
0: wait hold on go ahead what what has happened in the last two years
1: imagine? okay so in the last two years from 2020 where we changed the name um basically nationally we have uh, falling apart <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh the the name change really drove uh a divide between some of the California chapters and the rest of the nation yeah um and but what we see what I'm seeing at least on uh, from from the movement of Mecha is some chapters are really starting to pick up uh, what we're saying mm-hmm. from our from our from our posts and our you know all the stuff we put out there. They're really starting to pick up like the anti-Islam stuff. You know that that's become pretty mainstream within like Mecha outside of California uh, and Texas. The hell is still pretty deep in it. <laughs> um, um, so that's been happening um, a lot more you see a lot more of like the recognition that like our movement stems in some part from the Black liberation movement um, and how much is tied to it, you know um, in terms of tactics. Um, what else has happened? We changed the name the constitution 2020 uh um, what has um black lives matter
0: had a, what effect has black lives matter has had on the organization
1: on the organization overall i couldn't tell you there is no organization overall you know the dementia the right now is basically a bunch of uh sort of autonomous chapters um and uh some of them like some of them have like very similar ideologies right like a lot of them uh, sort of fall into our camp. But then there's also the very liberal Mechas, you know. Uh, some of them, one of them specifically changed their name to the to the joke name. Mepa. Mepa. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not what
0: is, I don't know what Mepa means. So. Mepa
1: means uh, Movimiento Estudiantil Progressive Action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> very liberal, uh, very you know, whack. Uh, but there was one chapter that changed their name to that. There was only one, and it was, like, way after we changed our name to Mecha. Just uh, the word Mecha, which means use. Uh, In terms of, like, those that fall into our camp, uh, uh, what well, we've been... Uh, 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 moving towards this like Marxism, uh, and communism, uh, and sort of a, we're coming back to nationalism, you know, in a different manner, obviously, uh, than, than, than the original conception of it, you know, yeah. with the slant and all that stuff. Uh, obviously, there's been, there's always been, uh, solidarity between the Chicano movement, the Aim uh, Native American movement, um. And the Black Power Movement, right? In terms of the more radical sections of our movements, but in terms of like the the ideology and and like the the mainstream of the movement, it it's always been uh, not great. <laughs> yeah. it, it's been very antagonistic at even at times, you know. Uh, so uh, right now, what I'm what I'm seeing, at least for those that fall into our camp, is like the desire to basically uh, fuse all all the movement together so that we can actually get some shit done, you know. Like, mm-hmm. uh, um, so in terms of Mecha, at least our chapter and the other chapters that are going to our camp that I see, they're growing pretty well uh, in the last two years. Uh, while the chapters like MEPA and 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 the chapters that I left have really been struggling, I think, or stagnant, uh, completely stagnant. Uh, for example, the UCLA chapter, like. I don't do not see them posting as much. And like what I do see them posting is like the stuff that gets funded by the university, you know, like the Mecha stuff, which is like stuff that's funded already, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh well us we keep growing and we have like zero funding, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like absolutely zero funding. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Um so I mean that's what I'm seeing. Uh I'm seeing a rise of like the Marxist revolutionary uh, left growing within Mecha and sort of like a uh, atrophy in liberal liberal movement within it
0: yeah do you have anything else to say uh I have some questions have yeah go ahead go some ahead. thoughts I don't have I don't have anything else all right so um one thing I I just wanted to like highlight because like, um, we did cover a lot of
2: history. Yeah.
0: Um, but I feel like this is just important to just cover or just um, reemphasize. It's just like the legacy of like Jose Vasconcelos and yeah, and um, the literal effect that his ideas, um, and the has in the movement. Like, yeah. like I'm I'm just. I'm just looking at the, um, like I, the simple, the simple, the simple analysis of just seeing how the California matches, uh sprung up and then now are trying to break away. That's all rooted in their whole appeal to indigenismo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they like it, it's to no surprise that California, California Mechas are doing that. But um, yeah, I I find it much much more of a need to criticize it because like if if we're truly gonna create a movement that is gonna liberate all people we should not um propagate these settler nationalistic ideologies that kind of you know well they, they don't kind of they fucking promote the erasure of
1: of nation so go ahead yeah um yeah, I mean, I, I can go back because we didn't really talk about it too much. Uh, I, like, the what is uh, Jose Vasconcelos' Casa yeah. Cosmica ideology? You know, what what is it? Where does it stem from? And basically, it stems from uh, a response to the um, academic movement that was happening in the U.S. and the West at the time, Europe, which was eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was basically at the time uh, a lot of scientific and i'm putting heavy 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 quotes on that heavy quote-unquote uh scientific uh studies coming out about the how indigenous people and black people uh were inferior right to inferior races to white people and uh and stuff um but this was very conflated with nationality right and so they would say like oh the mongrel race of mexico and stuff like that right so this really gave the people the the whites and like the criollos in mexico the 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 upper classes who were very white themselves uh, a really like um like uh what is it called uh inferiority inferiority complex you know and what they basically came up with was like Let's reverse it, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, and basically, what they came—the the ideology of the Raza Cosmica is that, uh, yes, we are we are uh different races, you know. And uh, the and while the lower races are lower, they have some stuff and then like certain characteristics that are better than white people, you know. And then they start listing like, oh, the the yellow man has like extreme cunning and like uh stuff like that you know like real racist shit yeah uh but they 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 portray it as a good thing because when you mix together it means that you take the best parts of all the races and make a superhuman you know super race la raza cosmica yeah uh and he said that in, in the process of the evolution of this race, they'll obtain the best parts of all the other races and lose all the shitty parts, you know, like their skin tones and like their culture and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and their identity, you know, and basically become white, you yeah. know, Mestizo Raza Cosmica, the best parts, you know, of all the races. Um uh, so that's like the where the ideology of indigenismo comes from, because they take this right and then they 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 run with it in in terms of like well, we have to revive, uh, and take the best parts of each culture that we're part of, right? Uh, but I mean, obviously they they would say like, oh, the black the black race has the least. Advantages, so that we're not really black, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, this like more and more, uh, um, the indigen, indigenismo as, as time goes on, because of how it's based on like an answer to eugenics, it becomes, uh, really a lot of, uh, uh, a blancamiento sort of movement, you know, instead of an actual indi- indigenismo movement. Um, so yeah. And blancamiento is sort of like, um, another movement that happens in the South America and the Caribbean, uh, sort of that mirrors this ideology of indigenismo, yeah. but more, uh, more explicitly, uh, anti-black and, and pro-white.
0: Yeah. Um, just to add on what you're saying, like, mm-hmm. um, blancamiento literally, like, if you, it's, it means whitening. Yeah, whitening. It's, <laughs> um, it's, Kind of what, what, what literally, um, what indigenismo is, really. Um, mm-hmm. because if you analyze, like, how Mexican society is right now, um, how people, like, like, they still, like, they focus a lot on, like, Western beauty standards. Western beauty standards are fucking white. It's white supremacist as hell. Um, if you see on TV, it's all a bunch of white, uh, white people, um, if you hear like literally how m- Mexican people talk about like um you should you should date uh, a guerito but not a morenito or a prieto don't do that like that's literally yeah they say that we're all Mexican but when it comes to like relationships when it comes to marriage no 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 we're not we're, there's there's difference there's mm-hmm. there's a line um so yeah this this ideology is promoted as as you know white supremacists in in Mexico and is is reified here in the United States with with um, with Aslan and and just the the with 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 just the adaptation of what academia tries to promote with mm-hmm. um with um, promoting this I- identity around Aslan
2: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah, be, be, being vigilant around, like, the, the, the creation of La Raza in, yeah. in, in this region of the country, uh, it's very concerning. And, um, it's no surprise that people that joined Mecha, um, to, um, create La Raza, to unify La Raza, is now leaving the
1: organization. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, um, I don't know if you have anything
1: else to say to that. Um I I just wanted to like point out too that like the in the nineteen forties uh in Mexico, there's also this ideology leads to like literally Mexican fascism. Uh and uh there's there's the rise of groups in the nineteen forties in Mexico, uh where they actually uh take the La Raza Cosmica ideology to the extreme where they say like only people of of like mixed in like certain like very basically white but like you know mixed white standards mm-hmm. like the the knights of uh of of Mexico I think they're called the Knights of Mexico uh is an organization is basically a fascist organization uh for Mexicans, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and it, like that's how that's where this ideology sort of leads like uh naturally leads to, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I do wanna call out something also in the in the nineteen thirties there was also like ideologies that were opposed to this, you know, coming from the communist left. Uh, and this is mostly uh uh I mean not just in Mexico but like throughout the Latin America uh, like uh in terms of like being anti blancamiento anti-indigenismo uh was more of the ideology of um multinationalism that uh the Bolivian party now mass really espouses. Yeah. So that comes from the 1930s also. Yeah. yeah. Um which is something I really like. We haven't talked about it much but something I I kind of it makes sense, you know? Uh so yeah. But yeah, Okay, just to focus on um, the
0: present day and what we should do as an organization, Mm -hmm. um, these are what I think should be done. Um, I I haven't consulted with anybody other than you. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, But I feel like, as a national organization, um, and he and Mecha here locally, there needs to be a much more refined Direction where we headed towards because um, Mecha still people see it as a a Chicano organization that that still pushes for Aslan like there's still that remnants in the past like we've changed the name we've become more critical of Aslan but we still have that 40 50 years of promoting that idea we need to address that. Um, and that is going to be a struggle that we will have to confront other organizations in Metra to, to, um, combat because there are still other Metras that promote the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, we need to become less student centric because you're not going to have a revolution from the students, just the students. You're, you need, you need everybody. You need every aspect of, of society to be behind it. And yes, we, we made a decision nationally recently to make all organizations, uh, have the possibility of non-student members to join Mecha. But we still have a lot of people that are students and very, very, very little amount of people that are non-students. So in order to create, um, a, an organization that has impact in the community, do that (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and it can't just be regular joes it can't be just regular people that all are like that just join the dsa or like the stereotypical um um suburban white uh middle class dude that that most people in the american left associate we need people that come from a colonized marginalized communities we need people from from different communities we can't just have people from arizona oh no no from phoenix we need people from rural parts of arizona we need people from from other aspects of arizona from the res from the res um from mexico from mexico we we, this can be an, an international thing but we need people from every aspect of 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 um of the colonized world because this we're there's no way of under we can't there's a lot of things that can be done if we unify as many people as possible another thing is we need to push for more disciplinary practices within our organization because um a lot of these asks that we're asking for it's, it's going to be really hard if you just talk to a bunch of liberals to do this. Because they have individualism. They have a lot of these, these mentalities are, that are very counter-revolutionary. And, nor, and they're, they're disciplined to think counter-revolutionary. We need to counteract that discipline with a much more revolutionary form of discipline. Um, a discipline that focuses on more um, on the empowerment of the community on the empowerment of different aspects of, of society. That isn't focused on, on, um, on, you know, civility, white supremacist politics that we are told every day. We need a, f- a different form of discipline and one that is based on the material realities of people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And lastly, um, we need to create an organization program that asks the demands that we want to accomplish as an organization and that will not happen unless we do these previous steps that we, we mentioned so yeah um, the future is yet to be determined but it's in our hands and we can do it whether we like it or not mm-hmm. so yeah do you have any other thoughts on this or any other things that we need to do
1: um, Uh Well, I would say that every chapter needs to go out there and create new programs uh, that actually recruit from the most marginalized. um, New ways of doing praxis. right? You always need to be thinking about what new way can I go out there and do class struggle, you know? What way can I go out there and make people see what's really going on, you know? Make people understand so they can join us, you know? Uh, so that's another thing that, that I have written down here is like, just, uh, we need a way to do praxis and actually help and recruit from those that are most marginalized. You know, every program that we have needs to also serve to educate. You know, you can't just be out there doing gardening if you're not going to explain how the climate is getting fucked by the agriculture, um, uh, industry, you know,
0: and why it's important and, to. To show other people.
1: Yeah, and why it's important to show and join the organization, you know? Uh, it, it's not it's not good to just do, uh, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, Dia de los Muertos events without explaining, you know, where it comes from and the, the ideology and the indigenismo of, of it being brought to the U.S., you know, and, like, and why it's important... Uh, to, uh, uplift, like, uh, indigenous communities, you know? You can't, you can't do an event without also bringing in politics to it. Because everything in our lives is determined by the politics, you know? Yeah. Is that it? That's all. Okay. All right. But I agree. I mean, the, the first thing is clarifying our ideology and our direction. Direction. That is the thing that we need to do. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, that will be another discussion. Another so. day. <laughs> another day. That, so. that can't just happen between us two. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that will be another discussion. Um, it won't be recorded, but yes. <laughs> um, anyways, um, I hope anybody that has reached reached this far in the conversation, hope you enjoyed it. If there's any questions that you have on like the specific nuances, um, feel free to contact us. Mm-hmm. You can contact us at mecha the ASU. Um, if you want to join Metra and you heard it from from this podcast, which is amazing, um, mm-hmm. uh, just follow us at that, that handle. It's in the show notes. Um, if you want to get more involved with our organization, we have a community garden that uh, shows up every Saturday at 6 p.m.? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Contact us on Instagram as well to get more information on that. Yeah. And yeah.
1: Oh, and if you have any corrections to any of the history that I said, you can email us at mechadasu074 at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I I might not remember everything (laughs) (laughs) correctly. You know what I'm (laughs) saying? Uh, mm-hmm. I might have got some shit wrong uh, uh, So You know If you If you if you have a correction Please message us And uh, you know Send us uh, all the links and shit Yeah for sure
0: This is a learning experience
1: Yep. Alright I
0: guess
2: that's it yep. Um Show continues Venceremos Venceremos
3: Oh no es paranoia este prejuicio, no es fácil siempre entrar a los lugares por la puerta de servicio. Vivimos en el mito del vestido y democracia racial, de la armonía nacional. Pero cargamos una cruz en fenotipo facial hicieron que Estebanico pisoteara tradiciones. Después todos sus hijos tienen sillas especiales en camiones. Antes justificaban con azúcar y plata. Hoy indios y negros siguen brindando mano de obra barata, representados como zambos, inadaptados del mocambo, representados como escoria. Los Del maíz en esta historia borraron los registros tirados a francesados en busca de mejor en la raza. Dijeron esos descarados. Dijeron esos descarados. descarados. Siguiente látigo será la inversa. No piensas que esto es odio y en Cuidado de aquel indio iracundo que no demuestre rectitud Cuidado de aquel negro lascivo Cuidado de esa gente de modales primitivos Se reservan el derecho de admisión O manifiestan su ejercicio del racismo a discreción Y alguno con parientes europeos Me dice que es clasismo y no es racismo Te llaman de moral Y morocho, pues para mí es un eufemismo Y créeme que me indigna, pero no me siento menos Siempre han dicho que lo oscuro es a lo malo Y lo clarito es a lo bueno Gobiernos que disfrutan observarnos morir En Chiapas, Nuevo Orleans, tantos más que ya no quiero seguir Hay que buscar emanciparnos y cortarnos las cadenas Levanta la cara para acabar con sus condenas con sus condenas El siguiente látigo será la inversa No pienses que esto es odio y en reversa Sabias las palabras Get